So scrolling through DeviantArt and favoring one little, I guess you could say, um, essay, you know, journal, you know, document, whatever you want to call it, it seems very obvious that a lot of fans, even nowadays, almost a decade later, and this article was written actually about two and a half years ago, it seems that a lot of fans still, you know, like myself, are very sore about the Mechasali arc. And, you know, as I've mentioned on many occasions, you can't blame us for being, you know, upset about it. I mean, you know, we get the fact, you know, that Sally's sacrifice to robotization to save the world was to overall help redeem her for all the crap that she had been put through, uh, through various other writers and, and such, uh, for at least, what was it about that time? Um, go, what, what were we going on? What was it, 2.30? So almost, what, 96 issues, you know, prior? 96 issues prior? So... You know, it's understandable why the the sacrifice happened the way it did. But, you know, it's just, it's as I've mentioned before, it's like how it just came off where the potential was there. It seemed to be starting on the right foot, but then it just fell flat. It just went into, you know, repetitive mode. It was basically the same thing over and over again with a few things different here and there. But basically the same thing, and that was it. And I think what really dragged it down was the length of it. There's, there's no doubt that this kind of story could have easily been done, and I've mentioned before, it could have easily been done within the span of six issues, maybe a year's worth of issues, and that's it. Even, in, even including, you know, connections to the Sonic Universe book and everything, since it was all in the same continuity, it could have been easily done within the span of a year. I mean, you take, you know, 12 issues, you know, which is a year, you take four issues of Universe, you got 16 issues together, and that's it. That's all you need. But no, this thing dragged on. It dragged on, and it dragged on, and it dragged on. It dragged on from the end of 2.30 all the way to the end of 2.47. That's 17 issues, or 16 issues, per se, you know, of the main comic, which is unnecessary. And then you add in some of its connections in-universe, and you're looking at, like, eight issues right there, and that's two years combined of story that didn't need to go for as long as it did. And... And here's what's crazy about it. One of the things I was reading on DeviantArt uh, from a, a fan basically stated something that was talked about. I don't know if it was talked about in a Bumblecast you know, Q&A or a podcast or whatever at a convention panel. I don't know. But I do know that... Well, maybe it wasn't at a convention panel since this was actually written and uploaded during the pandemic. But anyway... Again, I don't know if it was during a Q&A, you know, podcast Q&A, whatever, interview, you know, online. Whatever the case is, you know, you know, the person pointed out that the people behind the book, besides Ian Flynn, like Paul Kaminsky, if you will, basically would come out and say that, hey, the Freedom Fighters are back together. You know, it's a new, all new adventures and things are back to the way they were. 
And then probably the biggest emphasis in the eyes of this one person was, oh, and Sally's not metallic anymore, just to point that out. And then you know what this person's response was to that when they, I guess, saw, you know, saw Kaminsky and others point that out, that, oh, Sally's not metallic anymore, she's not a robot anymore. You know what the response to that was? The response was, with Kaminsky and Flynn and others pointing that out, that was their own way of admitting, and this is from this one person, this one fellow fan, that didn't like this arc as much as, as any, any more than any of us did. This one fan basically you know, noted that that was their own way. You know, Kaminsky, Flynn, and all of them, that was their own way of saying, yeah, guys, um, we kind of effed up when it came to the Mecha Sally arc. Um, that was our bad. You know, maybe maybe we shouldn't have done that. And, or if we were going to do it, maybe we should have just made it about six issues, eight issues at most, and be done with it. You know, so our bad, our bad. You know, that's how they interpreted it. <laughs> you know, when they, when they, uh, I guess, read, you know, all this promo about, hey, she's not metallic anymore. She's going to be, you know, flesh and blood again. But, yeah, you know, I read, you know, that, that fan's reaction to it. You know, I look back at my reaction to it and stuff and everybody else's. And essentially, ladies and gentlemen, it's... <laughs> It's just one of those, just one of those ordeals, one of those, I guess you could say, errors in time, and complete error period when it comes to making a mistake. That obviously, you know, they've learned from, but not entirely. And what I mean, not entirely, again, I go back to the metal virus arc, because here's another arc in IDW, the first major one. That lasted way longer than it should, and even people that are known very well, well, very well here on YouTube and everywhere else for doing reviews and giving their opinions on it, like Mega Beatman, even they pretty much, when the final issue came around of the story as a whole, uh, was you know, you know, out and released, and they were able to read it and give their thoughts on it. Even they were pretty much like, oh, thank God this thing's over. Now, they didn't quite say that in the review, that being Mega Beatman and others, but pretty much you could just hear it in, the, hear it in Mega's voice and other people's you know, voice or, you know, voices in their reviews or what they would type up and upload on places like DeviantArt. You, know, you could hear it in their voice like, oh, thank God this is over. You know, because to them it just went too long. It became a slog, if you will, and it reminded people too much, in my opinion, of the unnecessary lengths that the Mecha Sally, you know, storyline went through, and how repetitive it was, just like the Metal Virus arc, you know, became. And this is why they were glad when Ian took a break for a bit that he wasn't doing this kind of crap for a while. And he was handing it off to people like Ivan Stanley, who, you know, like Ian himself at one point, was a fan and basically knew, hey, if I'm going to do a story arc here, I need to minimize it to at least four to six issues. And that's it. Nothing else. And that's what she's done. You know, that's what she's done. But the point is, though... When people look back at this arc, you know, a decade into it, you know, coming to an end, you know, a decade, you know, into it coming to an end 10 years ago, people will, here's the thing, you know, it is one of those 
kind of stories that, the, the, you know, despite the fact that it took place, ten years, it took place and ended ten, over ten years ago or about ten years ago, it's still one of those things that sticks in everybody's crawl. It really does. I mean, I'll give you an example of something that sticks in everybody's crawl, despite it being decades after it's happened. Turbo, a Power Rangers movie. You see, if there's one person, if there's one person that is a huge Power Rangers fan out there, it's Lewis Lovehawk, aka Linkara of Atop the Fourth Wall. And Lewis Lovehog, in character and out of character, has made it definitely clear, definitely clear, that he just did not get the reason for the Tobo powers. He did not understand the reason. Because to him, as it was quoted in the series, and he quoted it himself, weren't the Zeo powers supposed to get stronger over time? Weren't they supposed to evolve over time and power and, and strength for the Rangers? You see, him pointing that out, you know, even to this day, is a sticking point to him because he just does not get it. It's like, what was the reason to do the turbo, oh, you know, to do the turbo powers, you know, in the in Turbo's a Power Rangers movie, and not make the turbo powers maybe an evolution of the Zeo powers? You know, it just didn't. It just didn't make sense. And even to this day, you can you know, look at him straight in the face at a convention or something like that, and point that out to and point out the fact that well, they did it because of you know the selling new toys and stuff, and you know they have to have a reason for doing it. And he will tell you straight to your face that yeah, I agree. You know, it was mainly about selling toys, but was the storyline consistency of you know how they came to be or why they were created or you know you know did they find a true limitation with the zeo powers that they thought was not there and that's the reason for the turbo powers you know to to them you know to not to them but to Lankara, lewis lovehark you know it just didn't make sense it, it's it's stuck in his crawl as well as in the crawl of any other mmpr fan you know to this day or prz fan to this day because it just didn't make sense and they will argue and debate you to the end of time. A little, little over exaggeration there in saying that, but they will pretty much do an argument with you to the end of time. You know, basically telling you, you know, why it didn't make sense. And yeah, we understand it was for toy reasons, but where's the storyline consistency and, and stuff like that? And as strange as the comparison as it is to make. That's how a lot of fans still look at the Mecha Sally arc, like myself. We look at something that, yeah, we understand the reasoning that it was done. We get it. But it didn't have to go as long as it did. It didn't have to, you know, go as long as it did. And, you know, you know be, and just, you know, be so frustratedly repetitive. You know, it didn't have to go that long. I mean, again, as I've mentioned recently, and I've mentioned numerous times, there's a lot of issues that just, you know, did not click. It just did not make sense in storyline perspectives. It, it didn't. I mean, the whole powering situation, making that ba- basically her, her, you know, her battery and her power, power source and everything, you know, it's like that did not make sense. It did not make sense in the slightest. It's like... 
Did Ian Flynn forget that the power rings are supposed to restore the free will of roboticized citizens? You know, it did not make sense, you know, whatsoever. You know, it didn't. It did not make sense. You know, and, and the fact that even when Monkey Con gave Sally his power ring, guess what? You know, guess what? That still didn't restore her, and that was not the same ring that Eggman used. That was a ring that gave Monkey Kong back his free will, and he had to use it to save Sally, to, you know, to basically prevent her from dying, or whatever the case was. The, the, point, the point is, it's just, there was no consistency there with that part. It just did not make any sense. And again, probably the biggest, most ambiguous, most, I guess people would put a hypocritical, you know, situation of the whole deal, looking back on it even now 10 years later, is this is Sally Acorn we're talking about. One of the most popular characters and most beloved characters in the history of the Sonic franchise, games, comics, cartoons, you name it. And this is a character that no matter who was writing for the book, was always, being, was always gifted with a connection to magic. Like she had a power of her own. You know, did we not remember that? Did we not know that, if you will? Or did we forget that? You know, this is a character that had all that, and it's a character that should have not been a should have not easily been succumbing to robotization. Now I know people will point out, well what about issue twenty nine? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yes, she succumbed to robotization there. But Here's what was interesting. Before she got de-roboticized, thanks to Dulcie, you know, bringing the portable de-roboticizer with them, you know, Sonic was trying to get through to her. What was going on? She was starting to go like, must obey. Like she was fighting her, you know, Robotnik's commands. She was fighting it. Like she was trying to free herself. You know, she was trying to free herself, basically, before she got de-roboticized. The point that I'm getting at is her character has been built up even, you know, uh, you know, as, <laughs> as crazy as this is going to sound, much stronger since then that it just did not make sense for her to easily succumb to this, weaponized or not. And when you connect the whole, oh, modify the power ring, put it in her, that mostly, you know, could have easily helped her get back her free will you know, even unnoticeable by, you know, to Eggman. I mean, you want to know how quickly and easy this story could have ended within the span of six to eight issues or a year's worth, if you want the truth? And I think anybody listening would agree with this. It could have been easily done, you know, within the span of eight issues to a year or six issues, whatever, by having Sally not only, you know, get her free will back the moment that power ring went in her, but realize, hey, she's been weaponized, but then, no, but then think and realize, oh, wait a minute, I've got an opportunity here to sabotage Eggman, to get, to get at him, and probably figure a way to get myself back to normal. And by the time you get to the, the what is it, to the uh, penipulal, pen, 
penuptial um, issue, the, the final issue of the ark, you have her reveal the fact that she's had a free will the whole time, that she kind of let her friends in on it, but had them still act like they were coming to get her and save her, and all that. You could have had her expose the ruse to Eggman, and basically show that, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do, Eggman, you're not going to beat us, no matter how hard you try. Simple as that. Simple as that, but they didn't do that. They had to make things more you know, frustratingly repetitive and unnecessarily long. And again, I get it. And I'm sure a lot of fans that have listened to me over the years talking about it, they get it. Because they all feel the same way. You know, somewhat. You know, we get that, you know, Ian Flynn, when he came to his run on Archie Sonic, wanted to create his own magnum opus. You know, we get it. You wanted to create your equivalent to Endgame. We get it. You wanted something that was going to make you stand out as one of the best, you know, comic book writers on the Sonic comic, you know, in history. You wanted that. And I'll give you credit, you tried. But it didn't pan out the way you wanted. Because again, what made Endgame so good, you know, and this being before Penders, pretty much in a lot of people's mind, went insane, you know, uh, from a legal standpoint and all that. What made Endgame so good is you got everything you needed within that package of four issues, 4.5 issues, if you will. You know, you got everything you needed. You got your point A. You got to point B. You got to your conclusion. You got everything within that neat little four-issue, 4.5-issue story. And that's what, and basically because you were able to get all that within that time, Guess what? It's remembered more than anything Ian's ever done so far. It's remembered more than anything Ian Flynn's ever done. And why is it remembered more? Because they got everything they needed within a short time frame. We didn't have to basically constantly be dragged on for years, for almost two years worth of story, just to get a conclusion that we would never get due to the fact that, oh, by the way, my employee, my, my employer, Archie Comics, didn't actually keep a lot of the documents they needed to pretty much say, yeah, uh, Ken, we own the characters that you created the co- you created exclusively for the comic, not you. And yet now we're finding out that may not be true too. We may find out that Penda's lied about that too. But anyway, anyway, you know we all understand that you know Ian wanted to do that. He wanted to create his own magnum opus. We understand that. I mean, he even attempted it again in IDW. Now, you might say, well, didn't he do it with the return of the Freedom Fighter, Sonic Unleashed, Panic in the Sky deal? Yeah, he kind of did. But what made that more interesting and more bearable, despite being one con- you know, continuous continuity and story, what made that more acceptable and bearable is that a lot of the stories were treated as their own little stories, as if they didn't have no connection whatsoever to the overarching, the overall, overarching story, period, is what I'm trying to say. You know, they acted like they were their own little one-shots. You know, and that's what made them great. 
You know, that's what made them great. Yeah, you had a few like two-part, three-parters here and there, but the overall consensus is what made the reboot run better was the fact that the stories felt like their own individual uh, things like they didn't really have a connection, but they did. Same with you know the Sonic Universe stories based, you know, within the reboot universe, like Spark of Life and everything. You knew it had a connection to the overall, you know, story itself, but it felt like its own individual story that basically was a one shot and that was it. You know, that's why the reboot run was more accepted, more better. You know. Than you know, than the previous run, if you will, and mostly more better than what we had previously before that from a storyline perspective, because it wasn't repetitive. You know, it wasn't repetitive. You know, as much as people may think it was, it wasn't repetitive. It was straightforward. That's what it was. There was no board. There was no you know unnecessary boredom when you get down to it. Even when they did the World Unite situation, it felt like there was nothing you know unnecessarily boring, boring or repetitive about that either. You know, it all felt like it clicked, smooth transition. But but again, you know. People, but again, people will point out, well, wasn't that his magnum opus? Again, you could argue that it was. You can argue that it was, but we all know, I think in our hearts we all know, and Ian knows, that his true magnum opus attempt on Archie Sonic was the freaking Mecha Sally deal. And then when that didn't pan out, he goes over to IDW when they get the license, and he pretty much does get what he wants. He finally gets what he wants of the freaking Metal Virus arc, but that's still not enough. Obviously, he's planning for something bigger down the line. But hopefully, he's learned his lesson because I'm noticing a lot of these arcs now, not just by you know himself, not just by himself, but by Evan Stanley and others, but mostly also by Ian, that most of these arcs are not as long as the Metal Virus, and not as long as Mecha Sally. And you know why? Because again, he got what he wanted. He got what he wanted. And this is why people look down upon him sometimes. It's because, you know, why didn't he just come out and say, yeah, guys, uh, the Metal Virus arc I'm going to do is going to be a very long story, and I'm just doing it because I want to have my own magnum opus masterpiece, you know, my own endgame story to be remembered by or be proud of. You know, it's like, why didn't he just come out and say that? That way we could be prepared. I'm just saying. You know, I'm just saying. But the point is, looking back on this about 10 years later now, you know, fans like myself will, it's, again, it's just a situation that we will never, ever get over and never truly understand. Like I said in comparison, Linkara of Atop the Fourth Wall, when you bring up the whole switching over from the Zeo powers to the Turbo powers in, Power, in Turbo Power Rangers movie, to him it just does not make any sense storyline-wise. It's like, why? Why was it necessary to do this? Why couldn't you just make it you know, an evolution of Zeo powers and stuff? It just did not click with him. It didn't click with him whatsoever. And the same goes in the Mechasali arc. It's like, why did you have to drag it out so long? Why can't you just do it within the span of six, eight issues, maybe a year's worth? Why can't you do that? You know, why can't you go, you know, that route? You know, you know what sense, you know, and again, it's like, what sense did it make putting a power ring, modifying it, when that's not really possible, to prevent free will being, you know, put, you know, being retained, you know, by, by the character herself? And mostly, what makes you think out of all characters outside of Sonic 
you know, Sally Acorn would be the easiest to be succumbing to robotization. It, especially, especially for the fact, especially with the fact that this, this story, this robotization takes place 200 issues later from the first robotization. And she has a grown, and she has grown and evolved, depending on the writers or whatever, as a character. So her character growth and development should prove that she's a lot stronger to resist robotization control or control by Eggman through robotization than anybody else. It should put her almost on per, on par level, if you will, on par level with a Sonic, in a sense. the The point is, the point is when you get down to it. The Mechie Sally arc was just a mess. End of story. It was just a mess. You know, and despite what Ian may say, I think he knows it. He knows it. And that is why, as one fan pointed out in something that they you know, put together about a decade ago, you know, they pointed out, and you can find it on DeviantArt, that when Flynn and Paul Kaminsky came out and said, hey, she's not robotic anymore, that was their own way. And I, I kind of have to agree with this, and I'm sure I'm not the only one on that will, but I kind of have to agree with it that that was their way of saying, yeah, we effed up. You know, we shouldn't have done, you know, the Mechasile arc the way we did. We should have not done it as long as we did it, and we should have better, plan, you know, you know, better mapped out and planned out what we were going to do from point A to point B. And again, I tend to believe, I truly intend to believe what that person is saying is true to an extent. That's just my opinion. But yeah, looking back on it 10 years later, I know I talked about it a lot. Some would say, you know, agonizingly to death, if you will. But it is still worth talking about that 10 years later, I think the overall consensus is despite, despite, you know, his best efforts, despite the fact that the blueprint for it was, you know, look, you know, looked excellent and everything. That in the end it was just a mess. The execution was, you know, not, you know, was was a failure, and the overall story was a mess, a repetitive mess. But what do you guys think? Let me know down below in the comment section as well as in the live chat during the premiere. Like the video. Oh, live chats are open. You know, like I say, comment below. You can also support me at devonart.com slash bvw1979. My Teespring store, which you can click on the upper right, upper left-hand corner of the end screen here to see what merchandise is there that you might you know enjoy to purchase for yourself. Also, ladies and gentlemen... Also, ladies and gentlemen, support me at BW Rose's Discussions and all your favorite audio podcast locations, except for Pandora, where you will get an audio podcast version of this to listen to on your own time. Also, support me at Venmo at Brian-Walmer-2, Cash App at BW Rose's 98, at Vimo at BW Rose's for content you can't get anywhere else. Also, at Patreon.com says BW Rose's with a $1 or $3 tier. But guys, let me know what your thoughts are overall, and I will talk to you later.